Well, hi everyone. Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Now, before we start this week's show, I wanted to let you know about our next live Bigger Questions recording, which is being recorded here in Melbourne late next month. Now, the question of the reality of God is a question which polarizes and divides. So why is there such passionate disagreement? And does what we believe even matter? Now, if you're if you're sick of shouting and simple arguments, then this conversation is for you. We ask two of Melbourne's finest philosophers from very different backgrounds and worldviews the big question, how can we learn to have better conversations about God? Now, I'll be speaking with Professor Graham Oppie, an atheist, expert in philosophy of religion, and also Professor Greg Restall, a Christian professor of logic, at 7pm on Tuesday the 30th of July at Campari House in the city of Melbourne. You can get your tickets at citybibleforum.org slash conversations. Now, tickets are limited, so you need to get in quick. So why don't you come along, ask your big questions, bring other big questioners, and experience bigger questions live. We hope to see you there. Now, to this week's show. This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne CBD. Today's big question, is religion for fools? Today we meet a man who has written a book called Religion Is For Fools. Bill Medley was a religious skeptic who investigated the five major world religions. He attempted to see what can be known, if anything, about God. And today we hear about his spiritual quest. Please welcome Bill Medley. Well, Bill, welcome to Bigger Questions. It's great that you can join us here today. Thank you. Now, just to clarify, <coughs> you're not the same Bill Medley who was one of the Righteous Brothers, are you? Uh, well, actually, I am the same guy. Okay, uh, right, just yes. that I'd sound a little different when I'm speaking than when I'm singing. Okay. Uh, so how do you... Now I've heard the charm of my life and I've never felt like this before. You can stop me any time. I will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking to join in. I was thinking maybe we should do a duet. I could sing the Jennifer Warnes part. Do you think? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe we could do a ventriloquist act and I'll, I'll be the dummy. It's okay. all right. <laughs> sure. No, but, so you do have a background in entertainment, though. Bill. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, I did comedy for 15 years, uh, stand-up comedy, uh, did a bit of acting and uh, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you even spent some time in Hollywood where you were confused with the other Bill Medley at times? Yeah. Well, the, the other Bill Medley, I wasn't worried about him when I went to the States because he got lost in the 60s with his um, righteous brothers I hadn't been heard of for a long time. But when I went there in 1988, 1989, he... Uh, all of a sudden had this worldwide number one hit with the uh, Dirty Dancy theme song. And and so, yeah, it became, I had to, um, yeah, there's cheap imitators out there. There's more than one Bill Medley. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. So you did you pick up any work as a result? They, they thought that, you, oh, you're a cheap Bill Medley. No, no, no. <laughs> I, uh, in, in actual fact, I didn't get uh, that confused so much with Bill Medley, but some people thought I looked like Roman Polanski, which... Uh, I thought it was pretty cool until I found out that he was a child molester, and then, <laughs> and then so they go, "It's not me. I mean, it's him. It's not. I'm not him." You know. So uh, yeah, that was uh, that was the only confusion. Sure. So that time in Hollywood was was that the time of your life? Uh, <laughs> 
Now, now we are doing the ventriloquist act, <laughs> the, the, the dummy over here. But uh, no, I um, it was in some ways. It was. It was a, a time uh, of lots of um, excitement, searching, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. We'll get to, to talk a bit more about your search uh, in yep. just a moment. But sure. we do try to have a bit of fun. And today we're talking with Bill Medley about religion being for fools. So, Bill, in today's quiz, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about fools. So there's two questions, both multiple choice. The word fool originated in the 13th century. It is derived from the Latin meaning follus. So what does follus mean? Is it A, bellows, a leather bag, B, intelligent but misunderstood, C, a leafy branch, or D, hot air? So what is the meaning of follus? It has to be the um, leafy branch, I think. The leafy branch. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be, actually, because it's not. (laughs) The actual answer is actually A, which is uh, bellows or a leather bag, because a follus can be used to describe a windbag or an empty-headed person, which describes a fool, don't you think? Uh, uh, Look, you know, you're getting personal here. Okay. Um. (laughs) Question two. The website The Mossley Fool, found at fool.com.au, provides information on what? Is it A, comedy, B, religion, C, the stock market, or D, gambling? This is the website, The Motley Fool, fool fool.com.au. Well, I'd say that um, Motley Fool would have to be comedy. Comedy. Just so that you don't fail, let's just, it's it's not comedy. (laughs) Right, okay. Let's let's, let's move more towards the centre, perhaps, yeah. Okay. uh, You can do it, you can do it. So we got gambling left, religion yeah, if we take those two out, right. then we're left with. Um, can I, have, I was going to ask if I could have three more tries. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what was the other one? The, the stock market. Yeah. A stock market. Yes, of right. Course. It's the stock market. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm yeah. trying to think of the motley crew. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's the motley fool is taken okay. from Shakespeare's comedy as you like it. Um, anyway, so Bill, now how much do you know about fools? Because you nearly got one right. So give Bill a big round of applause. So, is this the fool test? Like, it, <laughs> I got none right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe you're not a fool. Perhaps. Oh, okay. Maybe that's the, maybe that's part of it. Yeah, right. yeah. Now, Bill. So you grew up in a completely non-religious environment. So did you consider religion to be something for fools? Uh, perhaps fool.com.au should be appropriate <laughs> yeah, for the church. For sure. I, I I did think that because I figured that how can we know anything about who God is or if there's a God or, or all these different religions seeking to reach up to try and find out who God is, but really they're, they're limited by their own human capacity, intellect, spiritual experience, whatever it is. And I, I figure that unless God comes down in person and tells us, mm-hmm. then we are just guessing and therefore it's pretty foolish to go around dedicating your life to a religion if uh, you're really just guessing. So, yeah, I used to think religion is for fools, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But then you also even used religion as in your routines at times. It was a satire on I, religion. I did, but it was, you know, kind of politically incorrect to make fun of Buddhists and no one's silly enough to make fun of Muslims. So Christianity was always the was the obvious one. So, yeah, I, I did. Uh, in fact, my I can remember unbelieving bosses of venues telling me, you know, you better tone that down a bit, you know, uh, you know, in case you offend any religious people out there. So, 
Yeah. So, but you didn't think much about religion as apart from perhaps trying to how to make a joke from it? No. Well, actually, fr- from a young age, I always thought one day that I would investigate the major religions of the world, just so I could say I've been there and done that, so that, you know, I had something to say when those people knock on the door and, you know, and, and tell you if you don't become a Jehovah's Witness, you'll get um, burned out in Armageddon or something. And right. I, I wanted something more intelligent to say than just, well, if I've got to live with nothing but Jehovah's Witnesses, I'd rather just die, thanks. Uh, <laughs> but I, I wanted to be able to say I'd been there and done that. Yeah. 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 So you'd have, you could... It wasn't really a, um, a quest to join an organised religion or anything, yeah. but I didn't actually do it. <laughs> I, I, you thought it was a nice idea. I thought it was a good idea when I was, you know, when I was a younger guy, yeah. yeah. Now, so you're a pretty non-religious person. You worked in the entertainment industry. So what were you searching for? I thought this this life is basically all there is, so I've got to try and get as much as I can out of it, achieve as much as I can. So, so I pursued wholeheartedly the the um, the comedy, the acting, and so on. And uh, yeah, just I've I thought if I get that that big time, then I'll have found you know the meaning of life and then satisfaction or whatever it is I was shooting for. That'll be you, it. You couldn't get no satisfaction though. Yeah. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had a song in the 80s about Mick Jagger as well. Do you want to tell yeah. us a bit, what, how did that, what happened with that? Yeah, it didn't exactly go gold, it, it went lead. <laughs> um, it was a single I had out on Mushroom Records. Got played a lot in the discos in the 80s, but that was before I had a record deal, so the timing was totally hopeless and, yeah, it didn't exactly take off. Uh, it won Best New Comedy Song, 1985, and well, paid her awards. Before. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah, well, yeah. thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So you went to Hollywood as well to try to pursue this acting and uh, yeah. comedy career. For uh, sure. Dreams of riches and fame, perhaps? Yeah, well... Everything seemed to always be just slipping through my fingers, like that hard luck story with, with the, the single. And, you know, I was always pursuing, uh, um, you know, I'd, I'd done in national television, I'd done a few bit parts in movies, about 60 TV commercials, but I was always the, the bit part guy or the support act. I supported some international acts, uh, James Taylor and Monkeys and people like this. Um, so your favourite... Um <coughs> Oscar was Best Supporting Actor. Is that what the one that well, you were, there, you were looking been, for? Well, I wouldn't have been complaining about that. That would have been <laughs> fine. But, but so when you're not getting anywhere, as you do, you go straight to Hollywood. And that's where I um, thought I'll pursue things over there. Again, you know, times where I thought I was, was going to get the, the breakthrough. It always just seemed to be slipping through my fingers. But there was one, one time in particular that that really um, made me start to rethink things. And that was, I had this interview, you're always trying to get auditions and interviews. And I got an interview with this producer and she looked at all my videotapes and, and said, look, you know, this is, uh, this is pretty good. I don't know why you haven't been working. So I'm gonna get you into a TV series, first a pilot, and really get you your working. So I thought, well, this, is, this is great. Uh, went back, talked to my uh, agent and the agent goes, well, this producer's impressed with you. I said, yeah. She sounded like she was really impressed. And, and no, 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 this is one of the biggest producers in Hollywood. If she says you're in, you're in. And so right then I started thinking this is it. I started spending the money in my head. <laughs> I can't slip through my fingers this time because this time... Not only once I get a profile on, on a TV series, I'll have my live show ready, I'll have my recordings ready, this'll be it. And 
Now, little did I know that about a week later, this same producer got some big gig way over in New York, left that week and forgot the little guy from Australia that she'd made these <laughs> promises to that way. But the, the point of this story is that I, that I actually thought this time I'm really going to make it. And it just fleetingly went through my head. And what am I going to do then? Like when I've got everything I want, mm. is that, surely that is that it? Um, so what then? And even though I didn't actually get there to the, the goal, I actually thought I did. And even then it was a bit of a, not a depressing thought, but just there's still something missing. And so I think I was a little bit more prepared than just the intellectual exercise when I came back to Australia, got my old gig back. I used to work at Rembrandt's restaurant out in Wonturner South. I was making a living out of just one gig a week. I, I had time all through the week. So I started my investigation that when I was a teenager, I thought one day I'll do, that is to read through all the major world religions and their texts. So, so what did you read? I read through the Bible, of course. I re- re- also read through the, the Buddhist scriptures, the Hindu scriptures, the Quran. So I was covering in the Hebrew scriptures of the, the, the Old Testament, the Bible. So I was covering the five major world religions because they're the main influence for all religion throughout the world, or most religions throughout the world. So that's where I got so, started. So how was that experience, reading through all these different religious documents? Well, it was really good when the Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on the door. I tell them I've been there and done that. But it was interesting because when you read the Buddhist scriptures and you can go, well, oh, that seems interesting. I could agree with that or I don't agree with that. But it wasn't, those texts weren't really answering the question of, yeah, but how do you know whether this is from God or not? So in one sense, it was interesting um, with some of the texts. But yeah, there was more to it than that. Mm. Now, it's common to think that all religions are the same. Yeah. Was that your assessment? Uh, the people who say all religions are the same are people who just have never bothered to actually read the texts of the religions. I know it's a common thought, but there's no God in Buddhism. So you've got God versus no God. Now, if you reckon those two are the same, <laughs> God and no God, uh, what's, what could be different? Uh, you might as well throw atheists into the mix and say they're, all, they're the same as religious people too. You've got resurrection versus reincarnation. In other words, you're coming back into this life or you're not coming back into this life as someone else. They, they're just irreconcilable. Even the Dalai Lama has said that you can't have resurrection. And I think the Dalai Lama's quote was that you... you Trying to make resurrection and reincarnation the same as like trying to put a sheep's head on a yak's body. Uh, so okay. he's got a bit of humour himself. But there is one uh, actual uh, doctrine that all of the major world religions do have, interestingly enough, um, and that is they all have the concept of hell. Okay. Uh, which, I don't know, the people who say all religions are the same don't seem to get as excited about that for some reason. But, <laughs> but they do have, all have the same concept that if you do something wrong, there's a price to pay. Mm. Even if you get reincarnated, you've got to spend some time in hell as well, even for those religions. They all have that concept. Mm. So then how do you make a decision about which one's true? Well, as I said, to me, religion is for fools because unless God comes down in, in person and tells you, then we're just guessing. We're just making it up. We're foolish to think from our own selves we could figure out who God is or what religion is true. And as I went through these five major religions, that the one thing that really stood out is that there's only one founder or leader of any major world religion who actually claimed to be God come down. 
and that was Jesus who claimed to be the eternal son of God. Mm -hmm. That shifted my whole thinking because now I've at least got someone who's at least saying they're that source of someone who's come mm. down. And you just so, got to work out whether or not you can believe that person now. Well, that was the that was the the question I had, and and so here's me thinking I made this up, but I, I thought, hang on, he can't just be some great religious teacher or prophet if he's claiming to be God. Either that's true statement, or he's telling the biggest lie ever because he's calling on people to to, to follow him, even give their lives uh, for him, and. Uh, or he's the biggest uh, lunatic who ever learned. So he had the Lord liar lunatic that I thought I made up until I found out that there were long before me, even long before C.S. Lewis that uh, used that argument. And, um, and I think in some senses it's actually Jesus' argument when he says uh, to his disciples, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Mm. Mm. As part of Bigger Questions, we reflect on the Bible. And we're about to look at a part of the Bible which was particularly persuasive for you in your journey, Bill. Mm. The part of the Bible we're looking at comes from the first letter of John. Now, John wrote one of the biographies of Jesus' life, the Gospel of John, and he also wrote three shorter letters. Now, we're looking at the first chapter of one of those letters called 1 John where he writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So Bill, how is this helpful in your spiritual quest? It's, it's one of the central things as I uh, looked. I'd always heard that the Bible was something that had been handed down and even though the people might be sincere writing it down there that's there's so many centuries have gone by and the guys writing it down were, were just trying their best to convey the story or, or they could have just deliberately you know changed it around or you know they're just mistaken yeah and, but when i looked at that text that really jumped out at me that hang on a minute wipe out any sincere mistaken issue that that's not on the table anymore because what John is saying is that I was there. I didn't just see him. I was so close I touched him. I lived with him. I walked with him. So then here we are adding this whole thing. We've got Jesus' claim to be God. It's, it's no longer just an option to dismiss him as a, a great teacher. He's either it's true or it's not true. And same with these eyewitnesses like John, who, who, who are saying, I was there. So, yeah, of course, the possibility is that John is deliberately fabricating, but that's exactly what he would have to do. He can't be just some guy who's sincerely mistaken if he lived so much close to him that he was there, touched him. Mm. Which is, we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, yep. we've looked with yep. our hands and touched. Yeah. So that's, that's actually his set of senses, though. We've come on, Intimacy. give him a slap yeah, or yeah, slap yeah, across yeah. the back yeah, and yeah, you're shaking his hand and giving him a high five. Yeah, he's right there with him, living with him. And of yeah. course, he traveled with him for three and so this years. And so he says this concerning the word of life. Mm. So this is the person, Jesus? Uh, yeah, that's and Jesus is referred to the Word, and that is God's communication. God comes down in person, ultimately and finally and fully in in uh, the person of His Son. Uh, that that's what that's saying. Yeah. And what it says in the second verse there of one John that the life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So that's yeah. that idea you're talking about that Absolutely. God has actually come and 
revealed himself yeah. and these people have seen it and now write about it. That's, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that was really important for you. Well, that was the, the crucial thing in terms of we're fools if we're looking up, firing into the dark on what we think about God based on our opinions or our spiritual experience or whatever. Uh, but God has to actually come down in person. And that, that was the, the real point of the investigation. If Jesus is telling the truth, I've actually got the answer to God actually coming down in person. Mm. So did that surprise you when you said, this is my test. I'm going to say, I want God to actually reveal himself. And then you see this guy actually saying, this is what's actually happened, all the claim about Jesus. Did Mm. that surprise you? In some senses, it it did. uh, But because I just sort of never thought of myself as actually finding an answer to that question. (laughs) When you start talking about if God's come down, oh, yeah, right, sort of thing. So in in a sense, it was was a shock. But on the other hand, um, it, it made a whole lot of sense of a whole lot of things that didn't fit without... God uh, mm-hmm. and without God revealing himself mm-hmm. uh, so it, it made sense of a lot of things even though it was surprising mm-hmm. and I suppose then this idea that they've seen something remarkable and then tried to share it with others even yourself makes sense of the third verse there doesn't it we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ so mm-hmm. in a sense that your experience of accepting this um, word of life or this Jesus mm-hmm. and then it, well actually accepting it's true because that's the reason that they Mm. wrote the thing in the first place. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. One of the primary things for me was that this testimony is not just, well, is Jesus telling the truth or not, but what evidence is there for that? If If the Bible had never been written, you could still build up the evidence of Jesus walking this earth, dying on a cross under... Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. All these things are, are written outside the Bible. Yeah. And many of them in the first century, again, by historians who were there in that century, even if the Bible had never been written. So you're dealing with a, a real historical figure, and the Bible obviously has far more information about him and his life and teaching. Yes, well, that's why John says he writes it, so that you can know more about him. Yeah. And that's the yeah. purpose of the way he's writing. For sure. Yeah. The real issue comes down to, is this a fabrication? Well, the eyewitness testimony is, I think it's crucial to note that with Jesus, there is eyewitness testimony evidence that does not exist anywhere else in history. There's something absolutely unprecedented about Mm -hmm. the evidence of this eyewitness testimony, and that is that these guys like John, were willing to put their lives on the line. 11 out of the 12 disciples were martyred for the faith. They were willing to go to their deaths to say they'd seen this happen. Mm. Now, of course, plenty of people die for religious causes. We see that, uh, unfortunately, today with guys blowing themselves up and so on. But the reason I said there's no precedent in the history of the world is because, yes, people will die for something they believe in, but no one dies for something they don't believe in. Or something they know is false. That's what I mean. That they know is false. That's what I mean by that is that, that if Jesus was just a lie, you, you've got the problem of all these other eyewitnesses who are willing to testify, even to the point of death, to say, you know, like they're, they're going to get crucified too. You can see them getting nailed up to crosses going, yeah, we'll, we'll really have everyone fooled now, fellas, <laughs> right. once we're dead, eh? That's yeah. Right. It, it's just um, there's just, no precedent in yeah. the history of the world for that kind of eyewitness testimony. Mm. So, Bill, you decided well that the Christian message was true, 
So how did that decision affect your life? Um, it came as a bit of surprise to some of your friends and family? It did <laughs> definitely come as a surprise as well still people from my old life. I, I've encountered even in the last month someone that I was in a, a band with 35 years ago was in such disbelief he, his mouth dropped for about 20 minutes before he could speak <laughs> and he gets on the phone ringing other guys who are in the band going you'll never believe this you ring some guy in Sydney and go now you better not be sitting on the edge of the Sydney Harbour or bridge or anything because you're <laughs> going to fall off when you hear this so, and I still have people now I'm a pastor of a Frankston Presbyterian Church I still have people coming by to look at the sign on the front of the church to see is this just one of his jokes is this for real you know but but I think the primary thing that that really changed was the message itself this world has been broken there's there's something gone horribly wrong and it comes from humanity shaking its fist at God and saying we don't want God ruling over us and the mess that we see is the result and God could obviously just done something about it, like all the other religions would say, you know, just um, chuck everybody into hell. But, but God did something remarkable in that God sent his son, who is the eternal God himself, so that he can take the penalty in our place on the cross, paying an eternal debt so that forgiveness is secured, not in some cheap way where God overlooks evil and goes, ah, oh, don't worry Doesn't about matter. it, let's end up and so all right. You know, instead the justice is fully paid and the the security of that forgiveness is is made. And that changed my life. Uh, how did it change your life? This forgiveness that came from Jesus? Well, it it, it meant uh, I guess to me that there was a meaning to life that I never thought was possible. That there is actually a plan. There is a reason why this world is in such a mess it's in. There is an actual plan for this world. I, I always, when I was an unbeliever, I always thought time's running out and that bit of my life is wasted. And what I discovered that nothing was wasted. It's all a plan and there's, there is a plan and it's, it's God's plan. I just got to get in on, uh, on that relationship with God and I can only do that with him uh, speaking to my heart. And he did that. Um, and, <clears throat> and suddenly everything that I thought was wasted suddenly made sense. Things that even that had gone wrong somehow it worked out for good. So in many ways, that spiritual anxiety that you felt in Hollywood about the meaning had been satisfied with the conclusion of your spiritual yeah. quest in Jesus. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't even a, um, a spiritual um, a thing that was missing in Hollywood so much as just the, the full meaning of existence. I didn't necessarily think I was going to find that God had come down. Yeah, it was just, you were just looking for something. something. I, I, just wanted to in, I just wanted to investigate it. Um, as I said before, I was more prepared to be open to looking at things. I mean, one of the things that has sort of struck me is if what Jesus is saying is true, then we are not unbiased. When we go to look at the, the, these great questions, oh, will I choose a religion or will I um, seek God? We, we think like we're unbiased yeah. jurors. But if Jesus' message is true, there's actually something in us that actually says, we don't want to know God. Mm. We're actually against God and we'll actually choose anything, even another religion, mm. if it means I don't have to have this one thing. Uh, and that is the humiliation of saying that I am a sinner that's so far gone 
that it wouldn't matter how many good things I do, I can never get that right, and I need a saviour. I need the saviour. But it's not impossible, as your own experience No, absolutely. Testifies. That's right. Mm. But, but it's a good thing to keep in <laughs> mind that we, we, uh, we are biased against God. Mm. So, Bill, is religion for fools? If we're just going on our own opinions... You know, I think Christianity was the best, so I chose that one, then, yeah, it's for fools. But if God's come down in person and told us, uh, then, then no, uh, it's, it's not foolish. Uh, it's not, and it's definitely not foolish. What I think is foolish is to think that Jesus was a liar or that Jesus was a lunatic. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, is religion for fools? From 1 John 4.1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Bill Medley. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.